2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. 2 Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy. After 2 Thessalonians. You know, one of the uh, Graham, either Ruth Graham or Billy Graham, said if God does not judge America, he's got to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And actually, I believe that Billy said this back in the mid-1950s. And here we are where we are today in 2016. And I believe today that we're seeing these things happen as judgment of God is there, but also that God desires for us to repent and turn back to him, turn to the Lord, and obviously we'll see the harvest being gathered in. I believe we are seeing that today. There, are, there seems to be a real trickling of, 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 of mighty healing that's taking place physically, spiritually, most importantly, but also emotionally, all three. There's happening. I can see it. I can see it happening. And I use the word trickling in the sense of because all healing, we give praise to the Lord. But I see that happening. But that's going to begin to increase even more and more. So I ask God for these things. Everything that happens, obviously, except for the sovereign will of God and, and certainly who he is, takes place by asking. He waits till his people ask. The Bible says in James chapter 4, you have not because you ask not. Ask him for these things. Ask him for revival. Ask him for a heart like we talked about last week that's on fire for God. Set my soul on fire, dear God. Pray that I can burn again and, and help us to return again, as that song says, by third day. And pray that God would do these things because I believe that we're there. But I believe also we're in the last of the last days. I think we're in a crucial time of history. And I believe the Bible certainly bears that out because our whole standard, and uh, as it may be said here, is looking and is certainly spoken through the word of God. God said, I don't want you to be ignorant about like others are, but I want you to know the times are here. And so we need to be ready and we need to obviously suit up in the full armor of God and realize that we're in the last of the last days. We could be very well. And so in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's see what it says. Understand this, or, but mark this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And just as Janus and Jampras opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. God doesn't judge America. He's got to apologize because we know that obviously that uh, God sent the fire and the brimstone down there at Sodom and Gomorrah, it was a wicked place. And we see the same thing happening today. And we all know, and we don't want to rehearse it again, but we know certainly the marriage situation and, you know, anything goes here. We know people are seeking after pleasure instead of seeking after God. And we know the day that people are lovers of self more than they're lovers of God. And so we can expect the judgment of God. I want to tell you very straight today that we can expect this to happen. Because of why? It's because God never goes back on his word. What he says in his word, it will take place. Now, we know as Christians, if you're a believer and you're born again, you've been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of Christ living within you, the Holy Spirit. You know that obviously there's a covering and we know we're grafted into the vine. We know we're children of God. And so we know that, but we know that obviously those who are not believers and those have rejected over many times, over and over and over again, the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
as we know what awaits them. And there is the judgment that's coming. And I want to tell you today, with what we see characterizing this nation here, is that America must anticipate judgment for its rampant wickedness, which characterizes us as a nation. The spiritual state of America yields evidence that we may be well be living in the final days. Religious conditions will be drastically changed in the final days here on planet Earth. And Paul foresaw this, and I believe it's well underway here and evident and reasonable to all who will look and have any spiritual discernment at all. And even if I was unconcerned about the spiritual state of the entire world, I'd have to look here in our own community to register my insistence that we're now in the last days. So to begin with, what are the last days? The last days, we know there in John chapter 6, Jesus said, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Do not grumble among yourselves, and no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now Jesus is referring here to the resurrection of the just and the judgment of the wicked here. Likewise, there in John chapter 12, the master speaks of the judgment occurring on the last day. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter here began his message. He spoke these words. In the last days it shall be, God describes, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Now, I believe Joel chapter 2, verse 28, actually part of that was fulfilled. But we have not seen the fullness of that fulfillment in what Joel was saying. He's saying in the last days there. I believe from the day of Pentecost, obviously, that the last days began at that particular point according to the word in Scripture here. But I believe that we are seeing things happening and culminating and whether or not we're in the final days of the last days. In James chapter 5, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. And behold, the wages of the laborers who moved your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned. You have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. What James is saying here is he's talking about those who hoard up treasure there and actually in one way or another, abuse the laborers. There is a complete disrespect for people. Everybody is trying to get as much as they can get. They're hoarding. It doesn't make any difference who they run over to be able to get it. And we're seeing that today. We're seeing people's clawing, trying to go up the corporate ladder, trying to, to get higher and higher and higher. We're seeing that certainly on Wall Street. We're seeing that amongst, amongst the corporate banks. We're seeing these things happen today people getting richer and richer there and would do anything to be able to do that, including taking a nation down. And that's what we see. We're in presently in $19 trillion worth of debt. And we know that obviously what they're saying, and if some people get in office that they say that they're going to do this and all, and they believe and they're estimating that the, the national debt will go up to $30 trillion. You know, you and I live within our means, and I'm not sure why the country feels like they don't have to live within their means. But that's the attitude today. And I believe it's because we're in the last days and we see these people who are greedy and all these things that are happening today. And the second letter when Peter's talking about that I'm writing to you, beloved, and in both of them I'm stirring up you, your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come 
in the last days with scoffing, followed their, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overtook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that, is, was, that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. That's Second Peter chapter 3 here. They say there in the end times that some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. First Timothy, he's saying there's a falling away. There is a very strong deception. I believe the enemy will come with a very strong deception and many people will fall under that deception and go into, obviously, those things, those, those occults and cults that we know are, are certainly not of the Word of God. The apostle to the Gentiles had in view the growth of an apostate church which through, though bearing the marks of evangelicalism, would nevertheless be spiritually dead and that church, which he foretold, ex exalts external religion, yet denies the word of God. People deny the word of God today. They don't believe this old archaic book is of any use today. They come and they make up their own things. And we, you know, we, we see that today when we know there, there are religions today that have another book that they use more than the Word of God. We see that very clearly today. And we see thousands upon millions, actually, who are following in these particular religions, which are cults, which are not, obviously, Christians. They believe they're Christians, but they're in error. They don't have the doctrine. They do not follow the Word of God. They follow another book that a man wrote, and they base their whole faith upon that book and not the Word of God. And we see that happening today. We see, obviously, in, in Revelation, the, the, the church at Laodicea there and, and the lukewarmness that the Scriptures Jesus talks about. He says, I wish that you were hot or cold. And he said, because I could deal with you. But he said, you're lukewarm. You think you're okay. You're apathetic. You will not bow your knee to me. You will not confess your sins. You believe everything is fine. We're going to go along here. We're just sort of going along. And many, again, are Christians in this sense. But they have not come back to the Lord and said, Lord, please forgive me. You know, Daniel prayed for his whole nation. He said, me and my father's house has sinned against you. Daniel was one that I can't find anything that God spoke against there. He prayed three times a day. He was diligent, certainly, in seeking the Lord. But he said this, he included himself in that, although he may not have been. He was a sinner. We're all, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he said, me and my father's house have sinned. Are you doing that? Me and my father's house have sinned against you, O Lord. You said, if my people were called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Will humble themselves and recognize that we have drifted. Recognize that we're lukewarm recognize these things and confess it before God Almighty, then he'll come, he says, the Bible says, and he'll heal our land. But many today are, are one way or the other, but they're lukewarm and they feel like, oh, it's okay. It's like the frog there in the kettle of water. You put him in the cold water, everything's fine. You turn the heat up and it begins to boil. And before long, the, the frog is caught in it because... It's so subtle today. Sin creeps in our lives. An apathetic heart creeps in our lives. And we stray away here. Are we in the last days? In the final days here as we talk about it? I want to tell you. There are characteristics that mark a society in the last days. People will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Heartless. Unappreciative. Slight. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure 
rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying his power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth here. Human character will grow increasingly perverted in the end times here. What are we seeing today? There's a perversion like I have not seen in my lifetime today. People are doing things today that it just shocks me. It just shocks, doesn't it? The human character. Eugene Peterson, he rendered it here in, in the message. He says, as the end approaches, people are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, stuck-up, profane, contemptuous appearance, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, slanderers, impulsively wild, savage, cynical, treacherous, ruthless, bloated windbags. I like that, don't y'all? Bloated windbags. Addicted to lusts and allergic to God. Ooh, allergic to God. They'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes they're like animals. Self-absorbed, self-promoting, and without self-control. It seems to characterize modern, modern society, doesn't it? If not, just go in your local bookstore and look at the self-help books. Everything is pointing to how you can kind of get it a little bit better. And nothing in that book will ever point to God. There's self-help books all over the place that point to what I can do. And you see today, that's about self. It is self-help. But you see, what has happened is, is self is on the throne of the hearts of too many people. And self is on the throne of the hearts of too many Christians today. Self loves to exalt itself. But it's stench in the nostrils of God. Self wants to do it. I want it my way. I don't want to follow God. I don't want to pray about it. I don't want to seek what God really wants because I want my way. And that's self. And that's what we see in our society today. You know, when obviously those buildings fell in 9-11, in and there and, and the word came out that we will rebuild. It was all about what we can do. And nothing about what God can do and desires to do. They are allergic to God. They are obviously wanting to do things on their own because self is loved more supremely than God. And for us to follow the Lord of all creation, the one who sent his only begotten son into the world to die for our sins today, God must be loved supremely. The Bible we've talked about, Jesus said the commandment, the first commandment is, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. If we're loving self, then we're not loving God. God somewhere may be down on the list, but he may not even be on the list. And eventually when self comes in and dominates today, is what happens is you take God off your list altogether. You don't even have him on the list at all. We obviously are in a situation where society is focused on self. And people are more concerned about personal comfort than they are concerned about what is right. Per capita giving to, giving to charity bears this out. The expenditures for cosmetics and name brand clothing bear this out. Expenditures for pet food and pet grooming compared to spending on something in the, th in, the, in the kingdom of God bears this out. There are pet hotels around all over the city. Have y'all seen them? We spend more money on our pets today and people are not in the church and they're not giving, helping to build the kingdom of God, reaching out for people that need to know Jesus Christ than we do in coming and dropping our tithe in the offering plate. I say we're in the last days and we're in the final days of the last days. If you see it happening around you, you'll see it here. 
The personal debt load of the average American bears this out here. The debt that we have, the debt that this nation has today, the debt that people today are sitting back and allowing us to continue to go down this particular road and actually are beginning to promote other people to be put in high positions that want to increase this debt at such an alarming rate, which it already is, that it is just flabbergasting to me. That's what they want to do. Because where are we at today? If you'll look at the number of people that are following the particular candidates today all over, they're all saying, give me, give me, give me. Let me have more of a handout from you. What can you do for me? That's where we're at. We're in the last final days of the last days. The heart of this apostolic charge is that people will be lovers of self. And whenever self is exalted to a position of honor, God is no longer worshipped. Indeed, God cannot be worshipped if we are exalting self. Satan loved himself more than he loved God, and he got kicked out of heaven. He got, all of his demons got kicked out of heaven. His self-love was the genesis of rebellion in heaven. Adam and Eve exalted self to the throne of their lives, and thus plunged the world into ruin. Loving self can never result in that which is good or right. And one of the most frightening developments among contemporary churches is the wide acceptance of an enthusiastic proclamation of self-love, not only as allowable, but as being the basic virtue. Self-love and its many derivatives, self-esteem, self-worth, self-fulfillment, positive self-image, have been imported into the churches from an anti-biblical psychology. All of these things, self-worth, well, you've got to have good self-esteem. Not if it trumps God. Not if that's priority over there. That's self-love. The Bible says we're to deny ourselves and take up our crosses daily and follow Him. We're to deny what we want. We're to deny what we know the world is obviously just wooing us and drawing us. And somehow that song of the uh, siren is drawing us and we're just getting further. And what's happened there is our lives have crashed upon the rocks of destruction. And people have said, what happened? What happened? It's because God's not worshipped and loved supremely is the reason for it. The claim is made that one cannot properly love God and our other people unless he loves himself. And such self-love is perverted and destructive, inviting the wrath of God. God's got to be loved supremely. And today, instead of a theocentric view among the churches, we're witnessing an egocentric view amongst, and I say the churches. When people are self-absorbed, they also become lovers of money, proud and arrogant. And as Peterson says, money hungry, self-promoting, and stuck up. Money in itself is not bad. We need that. But obviously, it is in the pursuit of the acquisition of money. And if that becomes the primary pursuit, that pursuit leads many people astray. Money hungry describes far too many people in our day-to-day. -day. We know Lehman Brothers there, Goldman Sachs. We know all of this corporate greed, which is enabling societal greed. And the present instability in the stock market reveals a society scrambling to own just the right stock to make us rich. The lottery. The lottery. We're all trying to get rich. The scratch-offs. Let's scratch it off. That's what I got for Christmas present from my office. A little, a little Buddha and several scratch-off cards. Oh, no, my goodness. This is where we're at. And let me tell you, I'm sure whoever gave it to me was a pretty godly person. I'm talking about today, we're lukewarm. We are not following what the scripture said, that little Buddha, now put it in there, and that little Buddha in your pocket will give you direction. Wow. Oh, really? Oh, yeah? Yeah? This little thing here, whatever it is, plastic or whatever it is, going to give me direction, I threw that thing in the garbage. I said, get rid of that thing. Get it out of here. Because it's an idol. And God said he'll not obviously have anybody and share his glory with anybody or anything. 
And you and I need to come to a resolution of saying, if there's something in your house or something in your life that God is putting his finger on, then get rid of it. Get it out of the house. They burned books at places and in Quito, Ecuador, our friends down there, they had them, they, they gave a sermon on that and all that, and before long what they did was they brought all their idols and put it in a big pile and they set it afire there in Quito, Ecuador. Got rid of it. Get it out. It's demonic. And demons attach themselves to those things anyway. You know, we live here in the instability of that stock market. You know, we also mark the health and wealth movement, the name it and claim it crowd is wrapping this philosophy in, in the guise of religion. You just name it, you can have a Cadillac. You know, I don't want a Cadillac. I want the Lord. Self-absorbed people grow overly confident in their spirituality. They're boastful. Their spiritual depth is there. They believe they're spiritually superior. You try to somehow come along and say, that's not right and all, they'll go, no, 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 and they'll just continue to deny it. Because they feel like they're spiritually superior. The Bible says that we'll humble ourselves, doesn't he? Obviously, that's confidence in God. It's not confidence in my intellect. It's not confidence in me. It's my confidence is in God Almighty. Barclay makes this helpful comparison of an individual who is proud and arrogant. He says this, The braggart is a swaggering creature who tries to bluster his way into power and eminence. No one can possibly mistake him, but the sin of the man who is arrogant is in his heart. He might even seem to be humble, but in his secret heart, there is a contempt for everyone else. He nourishes an all-consuming, all-pervading pride. And in his heart, there is little altar where he bows down before himself. But he looks good on the outside. We can come in here every Sunday. Oh, how y'all doing? Hey, it's good. Hey, Brother Jim, good to see you. It's good. Hey, you doing great? Oh, yeah, we're doing good and all that. And down deep, you know something's not right. You know somehow you're faking it. You know somehow you're going through the motions. You know somehow that something just not right. It's something not right today. And it's because somehow I believe in many cases itself has gotten in the way. And pride has gotten in there. And one way or another... And God said, he says he gives grace to the humble, but what's he say about resisting the proud? He resists the proud. He gives grace. He talks about it here. The arrogant person will speak abusively of others because in his mind he's better than everybody else. Christians are taught to speak evil of no one, Titus chapter 3. And he's, they're slandering. We know, obviously, too many parents think that Bart Simpson is cute when he obviously is very disrespectful to his parents. He's not cute. He's demonic. Bart Simpson. Y'all don't know who that is. I, I, brought, I brought up the wrong illustration amongst this crowd. Bart Simpson is a uh, ca cartoon character on TV. Darcy knows it. The younger generation, they know we know who Bart Simpson is. And he, It is. That's right. It is. It's a long-range show. But they believe and they think he's cute. Parents today. You know, we were sitting at a restaurant not too long ago, and, and, and I know y'all have heard me say this before, but they had a whole gang of kids, and they were running roughshod through the restaurant. I mean, they were carrying on. The parents were involved with themselves. And they obviously didn't know it. Well, you know, you, you can be in places where you think, well, that's kind of halfway okay or not. But really, it's not okay anywhere. My daddy would have snatched a knot in me. I wouldn't have been getting up to begin with. But this is what we see because the kids don't respect the parents. And you know why? It's because the parents are in love with themselves. We see it. We see it. It's a downward spiral in the gym. It's a downward. Self-centered people are ungrateful. Imagining that they but receive their due whenever there's a courtesy is shown towards them. The ungrateful person despises the very idea of grace. Ungrateful. Romans chapter 1 talks about it because God's wrath is displayed against the ungrateful person. 
Ungrateful people are unholy people, no matter how religious they may appear. The word translated unholy carries here not necessarily completely the idea of irreligion as of gross indecency, but it is used here as an illustration of a person who refused to bury a dead body or who committed incest. That's pretty serious. That's why God says his wrath is being poured out upon those who are not thankful at all. You see that today. They expect everybody to just come and cater to them. And that's what we have got and we've raised up in a generation. And the millennial generation believes that everything should be given to them. And in my generation, you work for it. In my generation, you got up. And whether it was manual labor or whether or not you had a particular desk job, it didn't make any difference, is that you worked. And the philosophy was, is you gave your employer eight hours work for eight hours pay. And obviously, we gave a lot more than that. But the high work ethics that we have seen by those in later years, that is no longer a part of it. Because people are saying... I want what I want. And I don't care who it destroys in the process. The unholy person is driven by self-love to gratify his lust and passions of whatever sort as fully as possible with no thought of impropriety or decency. Society will be marked by heartless people and heartless here, as we know there, is there'll be more affection for self Parents will love themselves. Don't bother me, children. Go to your room and get on your iPad. Don't bother me. We used to sit down at the table, and we would talk. And you would have discussion. There'd be family time. And sometimes you didn't want to do that, but you did it, because you know if not, that was maybe the end of you. <laughs> but you came and ate. And nowadays, it's... Like the parents are saying, just as long as they're not bothering me, everything is fine. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying if that is happening and you see it, then that parent or parents has put self on the throne of their hearts. And they don't discipline those children. They don't guide those children because let me tell you today, children are looking for boundaries. Children are begging for boundaries. But what does it mean? It means there's going to be hard work in store. James Dobson wrote that book as parenting isn't for cowards. <laughs> there should be those boundaries. Kids want it. And you'll go up. My father and mother, I respect them. They're both in heaven now. Praise God. But let me tell you today, they kept, kept me and my brother in check. My, both my brother and I loved them to death and loved them until they, they went on home. And I'm so grateful that my father and mother disciplined me. And I'm so grateful today that even though many times, you know, it was like, I don't understand this and all that, is I knew now and I can look back and I respected them in the last days. There's not going to be that respect. In 2 Timothy, the reason for this is that God may perhaps grant them repentance being kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And maybe God will grant repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The word diablos, to describe society, so soon after using its passage here is actually that the captives become like their captor. Inhibitions and shame will be jettisoned by those loving self excessively. And those loving self excessively will carry little for what other people think. They are angered easily they, they don't, when they don't get their way. and They care little for the impact of their actions and all. And I want to tell you today, it's all characteristic of the end times. Lovers of pleasure rather than lo lovers of God. And one commentary says it like this, moral corruption follows from love falsely directed, self-centeredness, material advantages, when they become the cheap objects of affection, destroy all moral values. And the subsequent list of vices is their natural fruit. He's saying here, 
It's actually satanic. It's actually there where Satan has destroyed the family, the foundation, the first foundation of society, the foundation of the family, as Satan has come in and destroyed that in many, many ways. Obviously, people here, he talks about in the last days, people will have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. These people are church members, but many of them are lost. You see, these people come to church every Sunday, and they're sitting through a worship service, and they're refusing to sing, and they don't have a song in their heart. They're noted for enduring the occasional service because it's expected. They maintain membership in, in the church because they want their children to be inoculated against evil. They're great at saying prayers but never praying. Great at asking questions but refusing to listen to the answers. In sure, short, they're phonies. And without a heart for God or even the things of God, they pretend to be Christians there. And they're playing religion trying to impress God. Now how is it? that we can live as we await his return. I believe that the foundations of the faith today appear so rotten as to be mistaken for Swiss cheese. Nevertheless, I'm not discouraged, and I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. I'm looking for Jesus. And I want to draw close to Jesus. I want to get closer to him. Obviously, we stand where I stand and you'll weep for the foolish things that I see on a daily basis here. Watch the refusal of professed saints to worship Sunday after Sunday and you'll know that people actually do play church. Listen to the language of modern youth and you'll know that Paul's description fits our day as perhaps never before. Listen to females and the language that they use today. Now, I use that, and I, guys do too. But it used to be that the females would not use the language that I hear today. They drop every type of, I'm not going to say it, the bombs that you can imagine. I'll tell you another thing today. As candidates that get up and promote that they're going to do this and that, and they're cussing before a particular crowd of people today, God is saying, that that is wrong, and it's and I'm talking about candidates right to this day. I'm talking about today a well-known church, head of the church in the, in the United States, if I said his name, you know his name, who has said, we endorse this, and I agree with this, and what is the reason? Because this particular candidate is using profanity, before the people and saying it out publicly. And so why would you endorse a person that would say this? And you know what he said? And he said, because we put the economic situation before the character of the person. I heard it with my own ears. I almost fell out. This is the church today. And you hear people today saying, we don't want, obviously, a theocracy. That we want somebody in there that can sort of like do this and that. No, I want to tell you today, we better get back to God. It may not be a theocracy, but we need to bring people into these positions that have biblical values and obviously standards today. That's why we're in the shape that we're in. We have people who don't have those particular values and standards today. And we're willing to compromise today because our economy's in shambles, because this country is going on a downward spiral, because we're killing babies in the womb right and left, because we're taking body parts today and we're selling them on the open market and we're, people are celebrating it and we're celebrating, obviously, a marriage between man and man, woman and woman, and whatever else may come up in the future today. It's because we let that little, obviously, turn the heat up on the frog, and we feel right now that we're getting ready to cook. And all along, it was okay. We were swimming around. And yet we see, we're in the last days, aren't we? We're in the final of the last days. Answer. 
in 2 Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Christians cannot expect psychologists and psychiatrists to change society's penchant for self-love. The infiltration of pop psychology into the churches got us into this mess. Don't expect the psychologists to correct the attitude of contempt for parents. They brought us into this condition. Bart Simpson didn't create the problem in modern society. He exemplifies the problem. Don't expect economists to correct the rampant greed which marks contemporary society. They told us that greed was good, and we believed them here. Don't expect politicians to correct the problem that we're in today. Get on your knees and cry out to God Almighty that he will come and move again in this country called the United States of America and across this world. We see here surveying modern society. It's obvious that the dams that hold back destruction are now are cracked and threatening society. Instead of trying to stick fingers in the dike, as crack after crack appears, we need to look to God and His Word. We need to realize that all fellowship is ultimately based upon doctrine and not upon how we feel about ourselves, about how we feel about others, or even about how we feel about the conditions we face. We share our lives through sharing truth. We share our lives through determining to obey God and to honor Him. And see, this alone I found that God made man right, that they have sought out many schemes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Either we look to God or we attempt to fix things by putting our fingers in the dike, but be aware, however, that the dike is crumbling and springing multiple leaks. And just as we saw the state of culture being overwhelmed by the cult of me, so it's impossible to fix what is dead. What is dead must be abandoned. We don't have enough fingers. Therefore, look to God. With respect to a particular this particular congregation, we can do church the way it's always been done. We can determine to become a beacon of hope in a world of darkness. We can please the majority of society by refusing to make anyone uncomfortable. Or we can speak the truth in love. Knowing that it will cause some to feel distressed, we can continue to fight and claw our way to the very top, living only for, for our own glory, or we can, in humility, determine to serve one another in love. We can promote self and justify self, and we can adopt the spirit of servanthood or that Christ has revealed, or we can go to church, or we can be the church. We need to hear and heed the word of God at this point. And God commands us through the apostle, remind the people to be submissive, the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, Envy, hatred by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Titus chapter 3. A Texas Ranger was asked to help a man who drove his car into a ditch in a desolate area. The rancher responded by bringing a big, strong horse named Buddy. Y'all have heard this before. He hitched Buddy up to the car and he yelled, Pull, Nellie, pull! And Buddy didn't move. And then the rancher hollered, Pull, Buster, pull! And, and Buddy didn't respond. Once more, the rancher commanded, Pull, Pokey, pull! Nothing. And then the rancher nonchalantly said, Pull, buddy, pull. And the horse easily dragged the car out of the ditch. And the motorist was thankful and curious, and he asked the rancher why he called his horse by the wrong name three times. And the rancher said, Oh, buddy's blind. 
And if he thought he was the only one pulling, he wouldn't even try. <laughs> we got to pull together, folks. Yeah. Haven't we? Amen. We got a lot of pullers in this church. We got to pull. We got to encourage one another to do each other to, to do the will of God. And obviously, we know that God wants to work and, and His transforming grace in our lives. And if you need to be born again, today may be the day. Today will, may be the day you just say, I need to be born again. I need to uh, seek the Lord. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and he's saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. You're not saved today. The Bible just says call on him. In the name of the Lord, his name is Jesus. He went to Calvary willingly to die for your sins and my sins. And he arose from the grave. Today, maybe if you've played church and you're just saying there's something not right. There's something just, just not right in my, my life. Do you need to be saved? Do you need to know Jesus? Today may be the day. Maybe your neighbor does. Pray for them. As I mentioned earlier, is that much of what happens in the kingdom of God is by asking. Lord, I ask you to save them. That's why we pray for salvation for these families in here today. That's why we pray for healing. That's why we pray. God wants to bless you. And God wants you to go through these times. We're there at the end times and Jesus is getting ready to come back. Maybe Jesus is knocking at the door. Maybe he's right there. He's coming. He's waiting for the Father. He's saying, go and get my children. The day may be the day. You're not sure you're saved? Make it sure today. Make it sure today. Don't go out of this place today if your heart strings are tugged and you say, I, I need Jesus. In this little newspaper I got from a friend of mine, the title is, Stand Firm Against the Gathering Darkness. When God calls a man, he bids him come and die, wrote Dietrich Bonhoeffer. During the dark days when the church in Germany was being Nazified. And at the age of 39, he practiced what he preached, and he was hanged on the gallows and died. Bonhoeffer was not just an ordinary hero, but an extraordinary one, both in stature, stature and also of, as a Christian leader and as a Christian intellectual. But thousands of lesser-known people were inspired by his example and became a credit to the Christ they served. Thanks to this courageous witness, hundreds of pastors ended up in concentration camps willing to suffer and die for their faith. If every pastor would have been a Bonhoeffer and Hitler could not have accomplished his agenda, the pastors and their congregations would have simply said no to the Nazi doctrine of the superiority of the Aryan race and its frightful implications. Today in America, we need an army of ordinary heroes to stand against the gathering darkness in our land. We need people who will stand for truth courageously, consistently, and with humility and grace. We need millions of believers who will represent Christ in the various vocations of America. We need to enlist people who know what they believe, why they believe it, and how to live it out, their conscience in diverse situations. And we need those who are willing to pay the price of discipleship and obedience and to do so with joy. Are you one of those who's ready to stand up and be counted for Jesus? Are you sold out? Or is self right now grabbing at your heart when self says, I don't know what this means. It sounds like to me, I may have the sacrifice. 
the truth is we all may have to sacrifice if we don't stand up. We also may have to sacrifice for our children and our grandchildren if we don't stand up. If we don't take a stand for righteousness, then who will? The world's not going to. The world's acting like the world. Don't expect anything out of the world. And don't expect anything out of those people who basically are absorbed with self to make any changes. But God is calling you, and he's calling me. Are we willing to stand up and be counted for Jesus? Let's pray together. Father, we stand up for you. We stand up and be counted for, for Jesus. And we pray today, dear God, that in our heart of hearts, we wouldn't try to cover it up with a little bit of religion. We wouldn't play church, but dear Lord, we would be the church. Because you're looking for men and women today, boys and girls, who will stand up and be counted for Jesus. Father, I want to be one of those, and I ask those who are here, you want to be one of those? Then tell the Lord. Tell him all about it. And Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you would equip the army you're raising up in this church. That you, Lord, would come. And dear Lord, there would be no compromise in our, in our lives towards the evil one. But dear Lord, our hearts would be clean and pure and holy as you are holy. I pray today, Father, you would do that in that, this congregation. And like we prayed last week, dear Lord, we pray today. Set our souls on fire. Help us, Lord, to burn for you again. Help us to return to you again, O oh God. And dear God, set our souls afire. That's our earnest and our honest plea this day. And we ask these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.